Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally here. I can feel the change in the wind right now. Nothing's in my way. Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. I am really excited about tonight. The um, response has been amazing over the past weekend because uh, tonight we are going to do reading your genetic profile without losing your mind. And if you're from England, that would be without going bonkers. Anyway, I uh, spent a lot of time putting together a PDF for tonight's show. And if you do not have the PDF to follow along, it's very recommended that you have it. You should go to my website, www.drjessarmine.com, D-R-J-E-S-S-A-R-M-I-N-E.com. Click on our weekly radio show, and the PDF will be right there. You can click it, it'll open up. You can also watch and listen to the show from that point also. I will uh, give everybody a few minutes to do that. In the meantime... We have our herbalist, uh, Meg Hurley, who is going to give us a few minutes on uh, yet another um, another one of her fantastic uh, substances. Please, Meg, go ahead. Hi. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask um, if anyone has had a chance to go up and try some of the salves and things that we have put up. And then I realized that um, I've talked about it before, and, you know, it's so hard to, to I guess the proof is in the pudding <laughs> when it comes to herbals. So, you know, I can say something works till forever, and people are like, yes, 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 it works, it works. But they don't quite believe it. So what I did was I took some samples, and I, and I handed them out to some people, and had them try the, the hemp sap that we made. And um, I was really excited because it's helped people with a lot of things like tension, headaches, um, tendon issues, muscle pain, back pain, arthritic pain. And I um, wanted to mention it again because I was really, really excited after talking to a few people about how much it, it actually help them on a day-to-day basis, and they didn't have any reactions to it. And one of the people that's been using it is allergic to THC. 
So if she uses anything with THC in it, she is this horrible rash. And we were talking about it, and she's able to use this without any side effects. So for everyone out there, I wanted to let you know, I did send some to Dr. Jess, and um, I wanted to hear tonight what he thought of, the, of it and what he used it for. Because I think it works really well for inflammation, but, you know, a lot of people don't believe that topical um, works to really get rid of inflammation, so. I am, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm, um, I'm responding to a few um, texts that I'm getting that things are not uh, working. Um, I um, think that the um, on the show on the show, yeah, because I don't see uh-huh. anybody in the um, in the chat room, and I just tried to get on the website, and um, I just had this feeling, so. Hmm. Um, hold on, our weekly radio show, let's see. Let's make sure that people... Oh, no, it's working. It's working. Okay. Um, all right, that's good. That's working, and the PDF is up. Okay, that's fine. Um, hold on Hold on a half second, would you? Okay. This is Dr. Armand. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Hello. Gee, that's weird. That's really weird. Okay. Huh. All right. Um, now I'm getting. Now I'm getting that uh, people are hearing me. Um, okay. Hold on. Hold on a second. Let me just check. Okay. So while everybody is uh, while we're talking about the CBD oil. And um, <clears throat> I did get the uh, Miracle Salve, and I am uh, really impressed because I have uh, some chronic low back pain. And um, I rubbed this on my back, and I've got to tell you something. The pain just went away, just went away, and I was impressed. And um, I had a little bit of shoulder pain from working in my garden and uh, doing some different things, and yes, the pain went away. Okay, and I got to tell you something. It isn't like one of those things uh, where you know you smell all this eucalyptus and so forth. Um, but um, this doesn't have any smell at all. It's at all, and it just simply worked. I'm um, very amazed. And you have other stuff too, right? That does the yes. same kind of work. Yes, we do. Um, we have the hemp, the the salve. And then we have the oil that people can actually, it is safe to ingest. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more concentrated, so you would use it um, sparingly. Um, and then we have some that are magnesium rubs and things like that that, um, you know, don't burn your skin like some of the other ones do. But my biggest, my biggest um, question mark on it was, you know, I have the whole MTHFR uh, boxing business going on, so I have days where I have horrible pain, and it just comes out of nowhere. And it worked for me. So I sent it to a girlfriend who has the same problem, and it worked for her. So that's why I finally sent it to you. 
Very cool. I'm not, Very about, cool. I'm not about to send you anything if it's just a hocus pocus <laughs> for me, you know? So, well, so if, it works, I, if it works for me and it works for you, I think that's going to work for almost anybody. Yeah, yeah, and I've got to tell really you, does. it is worth, uh, especially the high CBD, the cannabidiol, has been um, shown to do all kinds of healing. And I think yeah. it's worth looking into. And um, I know that you will tell us more and more as time goes on. And I thank you for your time because uh, we're going to dive into this genetic stuff right now. Thanks a lot, Meg. You have a wonderful night. You too. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, how, <laughs> I hope everybody's here because I don't see anybody on the chat, and that's kind of unusual. So um, if uh, that is a problem, if people are having trouble hearing me, um, let me know about it one way or another. Email me. Send up a smoke signal. But I'm going to uh, forge on, okay? And tonight we are going to look at how to read your genetic profile without losing your mind, okay? And hopefully you have the PDF by now. Again, if you don't have the PDF, go to www.drjessarmine.com. On the left-hand side, you'll see our weekly show. Click there. It'll say July 7th, and the PDF on top. Click that, and you'll get the PDF, okay? And so let us begin. Introduction. Okay, page two. The purpose of this presentation is to give the reader a general idea what the polymorphisms which are also known as single nucleotide polymorphisms mean, and how you may determine if they are expressing in you. The presence of SNPs, and I use the word single nucleotide, uh, I use the word SNP and polymorphism interchangeably. Basically the same thing. The presence of SNPs does not mean there's a problem in the indicated pathway. Okay, the absence of a SNP does not mean that the pathway is working normally. The SNPs may or may not be imp- expressing in you, but this is why it's advisable to consult a healthcare provider who understands the SNPs uh, to help put it all together. The reason I'm doing this show, okay, and I've done similar shows before, is that people are getting their 23andMe's back. They're running it through Sterling's app. They're running it through Livewello's app. They're running it through Genetic Genie or whatever, and they're getting very, very, very scared, okay? They see that they have... Um, MTHFR heterozygous, or they have this, or they have that, and they say, um, I must have something wrong with me, or they don't know where to put it. And uh, frankly, um, the purpose of the show is to let everybody have some information to empower you so that you will understand uh, what is going on. There's a couple of callers. I'm just going to make sure, again, I'm, I'm a little paranoid right now that nobody's hearing me. Hi, um, person with a 610... Is, uh, hi, this is Dr. Armine. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? How about person in the 920 area code? We can hear no? you. Oh, you can hear me? Great. I'm glad. <laughs> I was getting paranoid that no one could hear me. Okay. Well, I'm going to continue the show then, okay? Thanks. Okay, well, thank you, uh, the nice person from the 920 area code, for uh, reassuring me because I did not want to do the show and have it, um, no one hear me, okay? And, uh, well, thank you very much. Anyway, let us continue. <clears throat> so, on page three of the, um, of the PDF, you notice that this is an informational lecture. The information may or may not pertain to your condition. 
uh, when there's the Q&A, I cannot give specific uh, recommendations for treatment. <clears throat> Recommend, uh, treatment should be done properly on an individual basis in consultation with a healthcare provider. Let me let you know there are numerous interpretations of the SNPs. This informational lecture is from my own personal research, knowledge, and experience, and there may be other differing interpretations. The study we're going to be looking at uh, is one of my patients utilizing the raw data from 23andMe and the app, Sterling's app from mthfrsupport.com. He has given me his permission to share his findings and his clinical data with you, but I am not going to mention who it is. Now you know he's a he. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I tried to delete all of his um, identifying information. The research that I did for these SNPs were done utilizing SNPpedia and gene cards, and the, and the um, websites are there, uh, unless otherwise indicated. And by the way, you can see what can happen if you treat the SNPs incorrectly. My cats were not happy, and they showed their dislike by glowing at me. So let's go. What are these genes and SNPs that we're looking at? Okay. Sometimes we don't even bother to ask that question. What do you think? Okay. Um, a gene encodes an enzyme. In other words, those genes you're looking at create an enzyme. Enzymes are the biochemical processes that run metabolic processes in the body. Okay. You can't run chemical processes without enzymes. A SNP might indicate that the enzyme encoded by the gene in question may not be working as it, at its usual efficiency or efficacy. So when it's normal or green, means that the enzyme is working at its usual efficiency. If it's heterozygous, plus, minus, or yellow, indicates that the enzyme may be working at about 60% efficiency. And if it's homozygous or red, it indicates that the enzyme may be working at 10 to 20% efficiency. Okay? I want you to think about it this way. This particular way of looking has worked for a lot of people. Think of the biochemical pathways as highways that are able to process a certain level of traffic to produce their stated result. In other words, whether it's a detox pathway, if you're creating glutathione, metabolizing excitatory neurotransmitters, or whatever it is that that biochemical pathway is doing, think of it as a highway. Okay, If it's green, it's like an eight-lane highway. If it's yellow, it's like a four-lane highway. And if it's red, it's like a two-lane highway. Okay, So if all is well and the traffic is light, like when you were a baby, it doesn't matter how many reds you have because the traffic will just sail through. If it's 3 o'clock in the morning and your eight-lane highway is down to two lanes okay, because of whatever construction is going on and there's only 10 cars a minute going through, it's going to sail right through. But try pushing 12 lanes of traffic through an eight- or a four-lane highway. It's going to slow things down. Try pushing 12 lanes of traffic through a two-lane highway, and you might crash or critically slow down that pathway and not get the results you're looking for. The increased traffic that I'm talking about comes from things like chronic infections, viral loads, food allergies, leaky gut syndrome, immune upregulation, autoimmune diseases, fungal, yeasts, parasites, or really any combination, because that's what we really see. The sickest people have several things going on at once. It's never a thing, okay? Here are some principles when you're interpreting your 23 and me. okay? And keep this in mind as we're talking. You, if you're going to interpret each SNP one by one, you're going to be either confused or you're going to give yourself mental illness, 
Okay, and I, I I say that as a joke, but I mean it. You know, when you look into Snippedia, you're going to find every study that was done on that particular snip and its variation. Okay, if you try and look at them one by one, you're going to go crazy. If you look at it as part of a biochemical pathway designed to um, create a certain result, you're going to be pretty well on target. And it's best to view the SNPs from that quote-unquote 30,000-foot point of view. So we're going to look at the SNPs in groups, okay? One last thing before we dive in. <clears throat> when you're looking, this is from uh, Sterling's app. Uh, I wanted to explain what you were looking at across the board. On the left-hand side, you'll see uh, the name of the gene. The CYP1A1 is the gene. Uh, all the other letters is a particular variation, okay? The RS number is how you can research the gene on your own, okay? Every gene in the body has an RS number. It's specifically named. And uh, trust me when I tell you that the research that went in to uh, each of these genes was prodigious, okay? It's not something that you can easily do. This is when you pay for that app, for that $20 to have all the polymorphisms pulled out of the um, 23andMe, um, it's, <laughs> it's um, well worth it, okay? The alleles uh, in uh, genetics, uh, you have A, T, C, and G. Um, determining which allele or which letter creates a SNP, again, took a lot of research. So uh, if you see green, everything's cool. If it's yellow or red, it's either heterozygous or homozygous. I suggest sincerely that you look on the one side on the left and the right side and leave it at that, okay, because um, every, someone else and very good people have done, very good, intelligent, dedicated people have done this research for you. And believe me when I tell you, if anybody's tried to research their own stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so let's dive in. Okay, we're looking right now at the first page of, um, this is Sterling's app, and what you're seeing here is the uh, cytochrome P450 pathway or uh, the detoxification pathways, okay? And the easiest way for me to explain what to look at on this page is fold the page in half, you know, top to bottom, and the top half, if there's a bunch of polymorphisms, that, like you see here, there's a probability or a possibility of estrogen dominance. Estrogen dominance can happen in men and women and can result in um, PMS, it can result in uh, infertility problems. It can result in difficulty uh, conjugating or uh, metabolizing various uh, hormonal pathways. Uh, it has other, um, other uh, considerations also. In men who have estrogen dominance and they may be overweight, they have a double whammy going on, okay, where the estrogen dominance <clears throat> will mimic low testosterone. And if you have a lot of adipose tissue, you may be producing an enzyme that breaks down um, testosterone into estradiol. And when you have that plus the estradominance, estrogen dominance, you're going to have symptoms of low testosterone. But if you start injecting yourself with testosterone, you're only making things worse. These are the gentlemen with, if you'll excuse the expression, the man boobs. Okay, they usually have that double whammy. Okay. If we go a little bit further down, okay, we see that we have other polymorphisms in the CYP2D6. And in this particular case, um, this may have 
person may have difficulty uh, breaking down beta blockers, antiarrhythmics, antidepressants, and dextromethorphan, okay, which is what you see in uh, Robitussin DM. Uh, the CYP2D6, the RS16947, this may be important because you can result, this can result in the ultra-fast metabolizer phenotype. What does that mean? That means that, have you ever had a person who just reacts to every single medicine? Okay, they just get every side effect. Well, one of the reasons for that can be that they're, they're metabolizing the medicine so quickly that instead of getting a blood level that's kind of constant over several hours, they just get a big blood level all at once and they chew up the medicine real fast so they get this real high level of medicine and that's where you get all the side effects, okay? And then they lose the effect of the medicine so they get the double whammy, if you will, of all the side effects and not all the therapeutic effect, okay? Just remember, just because this is red doesn't mean this is what this person has. This is just causes us to ask questions. Let's go to page 10, okay? And over here you'll see the glutathione pathway, okay? That's all the G's over there, GPX down to GSTP. And uh, the various SNPs here will tell you the bioavailability of glutathione. In other words, once you have glutathione, uh, will it, you know, Will it work in the body? Will it, you know, start doing what it's supposed to do? Each one of the uh, polymorphisms has their own particular um, problems or things that they may do, like the glutathione S transferase may, in, may uh, influence asthma risk, okay? But basically when I look at this, if I see a lot of polymorphisms, the question that happens in my head is um, if this person has glutathione, is it effective in the body? Okay, and glutathione is your master antioxidant and master antitoxicant, okay? The NAT pathway and acetyltransferase may influence the, down, the breakdown of aldehydes. Now, what does that have to do with the price of potatoes, okay? Well, if you drink al alcohol, okay, alcohol ethanol breaks into ethyl aldehyde and then ethacrinic acid and then carbon dioxide and water. Uh, when you've got a hangover, it's because you have uh, too much aldehyde. And uh, ethyl aldehyde is one carbon off formaldehyde, and you all know what formaldehyde is. That's what they would preserve things in for biological experiments. It's also used in as a embalming fluid, okay, because it kind of stops all biological activity. If you have a yeast infection, Okay, and you have a lot of polymorphisms here, you may not be able to break down acetaldehyde, which is produced in great numbers in candida infections. And what's really important here is that uh, in the 80s, where it was like big, don't feed the yeast, don't feed the yeast, don't feed the yeast, they said that the yeast was responsible for everything, MS, you know, whatever. And I'm going to tell you something, they weren't wrong, except they kind of went about it in a way that didn't exactly go over very well. And um, the real problem was people were uh, holding on to acetaldehyde, and that was affecting their brain, okay? And then however their uh, genetic pathways went, that was the expression they may have. Okay, now, on page 11, you see the SOD, superoxide dismutase, okay, which influences the conjugational breakdown of free radicals. When I see this, 
I think, mitochondrial dysfunction. What do the mitochondria do? The mitochondria are how you create your energy, how you create your ATP. We're going to go through that in a little while. In the tongue-tie cleft palate, um, you know, Dr. Ben Lynch has done a lot of research in this area, and he's got some treatment ideas. So I spoke with him, and he gave me the link to his webinar on tongue-tie. So if that's an issue in your family, okay, I really suggest that you listen to his webinar, okay? Uh, you'll get a lot more information than we can do in this show. The next three pages are going to be on allergies, Okay, and it's the potential, you can think of it as the potential for allergies. Okay, not whether you're going to have allergies or whether, you know, uh, it's invading you, but your potential. Uh, the first two HLAs there have to do uh, with mold, and in this particular case with one polymorphism, I would say that mold is maybe not this person's friend. Uh, the next set are the IgE pathways, which, which produce histamine. We all know about histamine because it makes you your nose run. It makes you okay. But what it does, it starts ripping open cells and makes the cells leaky or hyperpermeable. And in this particular pattern, where you see all these polymorphisms, when this person gets exposed to antigens, this person releases a ton of histamine, which means he's gonna rip open his cells and it's gonna be really difficult for his cells to heal. IgG, okay, and IgA, which is the next page, okay, really point to the production of antibodies based most probably on food allergies, okay? And when you see a pattern like this with all these polymorphisms in the IgG, IgA, IgE area and the mold area, you say to yourself, hey, if this person gets a lot of antigen exposure, okay, they're going to produce a whole mess of antibodies, which equals a whole mess of inflammation, and that is the basis of all kinds of disease, okay? So the fix for this is usually leaky gut, is usually fixing the leaky gut, okay? And that's why Guys like me are forever going after the gut because if you stop the gut from letting those antigens in, you'll decrease inflammation by 50 to almost 90%. So the next thing is the clotting factors. And again, don't look at them one at a time. Look at them all together, okay? And the question that I would ask is, does this person clot very quickly? If a person has a bleeding problem where they're bleeding too much, well, you're going to know about that without the uh, polymorphisms, aren't you? Okay, but what's more insidious and more dangerous is if there's hypercoagulability. Now, <clears throat> some of the questions you can ask yourself or of a friend. Uh, if you're a female, okay, and you're still having your period, if you're producing a lot of clots, okay, then that's an indication that these guys are active. If when you get your blood taken, it, you're that kind of person that as soon as they pull out the needle, you don't even need the um, little piece of cotton there. You just put a Band-Aid on and walk out, and uh, you're clotting too fast, okay? Or if you nick yourself shaving, whether it's your legs or your face or wherever, okay, and you stop bleeding less than a minute, this can be a problem because if you're clotting too fast, 
you can create clots that create emboli and you're opening yourself up for all kinds of thromboembolic diseases like heart attack, stroke, and so forth. <clears throat> Plus, when it concerns things like miscarriages, okay, in the later term miscarriages, usually um, they see that the uh, placenta is all clotted up, which is what's blocked the blood from getting into getting to the baby and may be one of the primary causes of the miscarriage itself. <clears throat> These polymorphisms may be um, involved in that, okay? So we get to the methylation pathway itself, okay? We have a lot of people, we talk about methylation, we talk about MTHFR. Remember, people, MTHFR is just one gene. The methylation pathway is uh, necessary for a replication of DNA, and practically everything in the body requires methylation, okay? First part of the pathway, the ACEADD, ACAT, and AGT, all kind of have to do with hypertension. We're talking about uh, angiotensin, angiotensin-converting enzyme. Okay, they're all involved in Alzheimer's hypertension, acetylcoenzyme A, uh, and the last one maybe a little bit of preeclampsia, okay? I put on the next page, just for your reference, uh, actually this is from Dr. Yasko's uh, uh, Neurological Research Institute, and uh, there are other uh, pathways out there, okay, but this one's a little simpler that we can look at, and we're going to start in the middle, okay, where it says THF. THF is tetrahydrofolate, okay, and that is your dietary folate. And what happens with that is that it be, well, by the way, if I say something really, really, really fast, it's meant to be ignored. Okay, so the THF goes past an enzyme called MTHFS, which is methylene tetrahydrofolate synthase, which creates 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate, which in turn goes past the dreaded MTHFR, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. That takes 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate and turns it into 5 methyl tetrahydrofolate. And then it goes along its merry way, passes by MTR and MTR to become methyl B12 and methionine. Okay, and after it passes MAT, okay, um, somebody else, the people are saying they don't know if I'm live or not. Yes, I'm live. Okay, yes, I'm definitely live. Okay, when it passes by MAT, I always tell people it's gone through a bad neighborhood in New York and it loses a methyl group. Okay, so it has to go through a remethylation process, okay, and that's either with, usually with SAMe or with trimethylglycine through that BHMT pathway, where trimethylglycine becomes dimethylglycine, okay, it becomes SAH and it passes AHCY to become homocysteine. Homocysteine becomes, uh, goes past cystathione beta synthase to become cystathione, goes past another enzyme to become cysteine and with alpha-ketoglutarate becomes glutathione, okay? If that part of the pathway gets screwed up, a lot of times that's where you get a lot of ammonia. And that can give you a lot of brain fog and so forth, okay? Now, if you go down a little bit, okay, where you see the MAO and the COMTs, okay, go back to the MTHFR, and MTHFR with that last circle has to do with the creation of neurotransmitters, okay, tyrosine to become dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine, and tryptophan to become serotonin, 
Okay. And a lot of people have MAOA, COMT problems, and this will back up, if you will, or create high levels of excitatory neurotransmitters. And as we go along, you're going to see this can be a real problem. On the bottom, you see where glutamate can become GABA through the GAD, which is glutamate decarboxylase. It is not important that you remember these names. It's important that you remember sort of what everything does. Okay, so if you kind of look at this, you'll see that MTHFR, all these different things can create little problems in the pathway, backups, backups in the highways, okay, and that's what I really want you to understand, okay, that the highways can, in fact, get backed up. Okay, so we're on, on page number 16 where you have the AHCY, okay, which is catalyzes the hydrolysis of homocysteine to adenine and homocysteine, I'm sorry, ADOHCY to adenosine and homocysteine. Um, according to Dr. Yasko, it may have a critical role in the regulation of biological methylations. The BHMT changes trimethylglycine into dimethylglycine, providing a methyl group. And some people think that that's a shortcut through the methylation cycle uh, to homocysteine. Uh, this the activity of this gene can be affected by stress, by cortisol levels, and may pay, pay, blah, one more time, Jess, play a role in ADD, ADHD by affecting norepinephrine levels, according to Dr. Yasko. And uh, just understand, there is something that most people don't know, is that if you have a problem here, you might have an inner sadness. And, gee, that's, um, that's kind of an amorphous finding, but guess what? Uh, just, might, just might see it. Okay, I might tell you that that's what's going on. Okay, CBS, cystothione beta synthase, okay, important in the transsulfation pathway that produces glutathione, okay? If you have a lot of poly polymorphisms here, one of the questions you'd be asking yourself or someone else is do they have difficulty with sulfur foods, like sensitivity to sulfur medications, vitamins like NAC, turmeric, curcumin, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, stuff like that. If that really bothers them or makes their primary symptomatology worse, then you know that there's a problem in the CBS pathway, okay? I warn everybody now to not use those little... Um, dipstick tests for uh, the sulfites or sulfur. They give very variable results. They're not telling anybody anything. We used to recommend them. Uh, we don't recommend them any longer. When I say we, I'm talking about Sean Bean, Dr. Ben, myself, Cynthia Smith. People do this all the time because we're not getting the information from them that is useful and is only making people more anxiety-ridden. So if you're utilizing those uh, dipsticks to uh, test yourself levels, uh, throw them out. Okay. <clears throat> COMT, catechoomethyltransferase. This is responsible for the breakdown of the catecholamines. Catecholamines are the excitatory neurotransmitters. Now, how does one remember that? What is the first three letters? Cat, C-A-T. So if you hear, Okay, remember cat, remember catecholamines, and you'll always know that catecholamines means cat on a hot tin roof. So if you have a lot of polymorphisms here and you have, and, you have, uh, and they're active, you may not be able to break down the excitatory neurotransmitters, and it may express as anxiety, anger, 
uh, even depression, okay? But you're the kind of person that, let's say, you usually, um, you don't hold grudges, but uh, when you get upset, you kind of hold on to it for a while, okay? That's the kind of thing you'd see. The DAO enzyme is that enzyme that breaks down the extracellular histamine, okay? And there's intracellular and extracellular histamine. And uh, if you have a histamine problem, you can take the DAO enzyme. It's, it's uh, several different products, okay, have that. And you'd be surprised. Even if it only takes care of half of the histamine, that's a, pretty, that's a lot of histamine, okay? I had a, um, a gentleman here uh, doing an intravenous um, uh, session, and uh, he was starting to get sniffly. Okay, and I kind of figured with his history that it was uh, the histamine. I gave him some of this diamine oxidase, and in 15 minutes, his nose cleared up. Okay, some people with seasonal allergies, I have them use uh, the DAO enzyme. Uh, and guess what? They go through it, not a problem. Okay, because that takes care of, you know, a sufficient amount of histamine. Okay, the FOLRs and DHFRs are your folate receptors. Okay. Let me tell you that even without polymorphisms here, what this really just tells you is that you shouldn't use folic acid because it'll bind prefer preferentially to the FOLR receptors and reduce the active folates in the blood. They're not going to be able to get into the cells, which is really bad. Everybody knows Dr. Ben Lynch, okay? You've all seen him. I didn't realize the man was six foot five until I met him, okay? I was like kind of looking up at him. I said, you know, you better sit down because you're hurting my neck. I have to keep looking up at you, okay, because I'm only 5'7". So anyway, um... He's like always this really straight-laced guy, right? And he never smiles, okay, never says a bad word. And when he was telling us about this in conversation, he was actually cursing he was that mad about folic acid, okay, because this will just stop the entire methylation pathway. So my best suggestion for you is that folic acid, the chemical, is not good for anybody, and especially if you have polymorphisms here. FUT2, FUCO, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that word because it sounds like I'm cursing. Okay, it's basically your ability to hold on to B12. So when I see this, I say to myself, this person probably has difficulty holding on to uh, their B12. <clears throat> the glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase um, can be a problem. We put it in there because if it's positive, you want to start doing tests for it because it can be significant um, when the body is exposed to certain uh, drugs or stress of infection and so forth. The GAD SNPs. GAD stands for glutamic acid decarboxylase. And if you look these up, you're going to see that they all have to do with anxiety disorders, depression, neuroticism. I like to call the GAD SNPs the general anxiety disorder genes. I'm going to give you a little clinical pearl here. Clinical pearl means something that isn't in the books but I've noticed in clinical practice. If they're all yellow, people tend to, if they get discombobulated, so to speak, <clears throat> they will head towards the anxiety disorders. If there's a lot of reds in here, those people may head towards the more serious mental illnesses like bipolar disease, uh, schizoaffective disorder, um, major depression, schizophrenia, stuff like that. This is not a definite 
This means when your body gets discombobulated. In other words, if there's enough dysfunction, okay, it may go, the energy, if you will, may go through these pathways, and you might have this particular expression. The GAMT defects in this particular gene uh, have to do with creatine deficiency and have been linked to various uh, neurological symptoms, muscular hypotonia. When you see this gene, um, a lot of times uh, we'll just go ahead and uh, supplement with creatine. Creatine is uh, something that muscle builders use, okay, and, um, you know, it's fairly easy to easy to work with, okay? MAOA <clears throat> is the warrior gene, like COMT. But MAOA was found in the Maori warriors in New Zealand, and uh, when it is active, again, you can't break down your excitatory neurotransmitters. So if you really think about it, okay, if you're a tribal warrior, okay, you're going to want to have these, you're going to want to have these uh, polymorphisms because you want to build up your excitation so you can go to battle, okay? So either you're, you know, dancing around the fire and, and getting yourself whooped up for um, whatever battle or you're having somebody with half a blue face on a, on a horse yelling, they can take our lives, but they cannot take our freedom, and you're just screaming at the English, okay? And you're running towards them, okay? And if you didn't have these genes about quarter of the way there, all that excitation is just going to metabolize out, and you're going to say, what the heck am I doing here? So if you looked in the movie, the people with the MAO gene are the ones that were continuing to run. The people who didn't have the polymorphisms are the ones that turned around and ran, okay, because they kind of realized they were in a bad situation. I hope that was funny. Okay. And here we come to something that's really, really interesting, and that is the um, MTHF1. I'm sorry, MTHFD1. Okay, the MTHFD1 has to do with your ability to hold on to phosphatidylcholine or the phospholipidcholine. On page 19, I put the cell wall, which is a phospholipid bilayer. I did an entire podcast on leaky gut, I'm sorry, leaky cells. And I must have said phospholipid bilayer about a thousand times because each cell wall is exactly that, a phospholipid bilayer. And what histamine does is tear up what you're seeing here so that cell leaks or is hyperpermeable. And that's the first stage of dysfunction. If you can't hold on to your potassium or, or get rid of your sodium, you're not going to work. Okay? And with a lot of histamine, these cells are going to leak. And if you don't believe that, ask anybody who has seasonal allergies and their nose is running. Okay? The MTHFD1 gives us an indicator that this person may not have, may have difficulty in storing or creating the phospholipidcholine necessary for cell wall repair. Okay, if we do that, and you'll see correlations later, then you know kind of how to treat them because you want to get some phospholipids into them. Now we come to the dreaded MTHFR. Okay, and I, I, you, know, you guys hear me make jokes about it all the time because um, lots of times MTHFR is like the only gene that has been tested for on the only gene that's considered. And, of course, they have a list about as long as my arm, three or four arms later, okay, of symptoms that happen if you have MTHFR. And you know something? That's not true. Okay. I know, this is sacrilege. I know I'll have the men in black or people downstairs with pitchforks and, uh, and uh, you know, torches and stuff 
getting ready to take me out and burn me at the stake. But the reason that MTHFR C677T or MTHFR A1298C have gotten so much press is because, first off, that's all they tested for. And depending on what all the other genes are doing, okay, this is maybe associated, it's not the causation, maybe associated with other pathways that crash, but those other pathways as a whole, when they're under stress and they crash, that's the thing that creates all the different symptoms, not just the MTHFR, okay? So there are about 50 MTHFR genes. There's 15 of them here, okay? It may be a reduced capacity to produce methylfolate, 5-methylfolate, and it may reduce the level of BH4 and SAMe, and there may be some downstream effects, okay? Um, but you have to realize that MTHFR in and of itself, okay, is not the great bugaboo that everybody has been telling you, okay? You have to look at everything, okay? Uh, MTHFS on the next page, I've never seen anybody without a polymorphism there. I'm not exactly sure the significance of it. The MTR and MTRs tell you about the conversion to B12, methyl B12, sorry. Okay, and what's really important on this page, especially for this person, is the NOS, is the nitrous oxide synthase, which tells us that this person may not be able to break down nitrous oxide, which is a significant free radical. And in the biogerontology reference that I made, uh, these gene var variations were associated with lower cognitive performance, um, with uh, you know poor physical performance, uh, associated with depression symptoms. Basically, uh, it affected the quality of life of older people, but ha it did that through the mitochondria. Okay, so when you say SOD and NOSs, think mitochondria. Okay, you're never going to be wrong. PEMT, this is the gene that includes an enzyme that, can turn, that converts phosphatidylethanolamine to phosphatidylcholine. Say that three times fast, okay? And it just tells you that this person's having trouble uh, healing their cells. Uh, the other genes, the SHMT, uh, these are all carrier genes. Some of them are associated with the folate receptors. Uh, some may reduce the transport of cobalamin, reducing uh, B12 levels, okay? On page 23, we have the VDR, and um, this is the vitamin D receptor, okay, and there's a, several diseases associated with it, but there's some argument in the literature and uh, amongst the researchers right now about uh, the significance of the uh, VDR, and um, basically... I would say that uh, what you really need to do is follow what Sean said and get your uh, vitamin D uh, 25-OH and your vitamin D 125 uh, tested, okay? And uh, there'll be an article out by tomorrow or the next day because I know I'm writing it <laughs> about that particular subject, so just look on my, my blog, and that's going to be more telling about uh, what your vitamin D status is and your inflammation status and so forth. In the gluten intolerance range, okay, the HLA-DQA1 is a little bit more specific for gluten intolerance uh, than the other HLA. Now, this says celiac disease. If you have celiac disease, that is an actual allergy, IgE allergy to gluten. 
trust me, you'll know about it, okay? And the best way for that to be uh, diagnosed is with biopsy. But by far, the biggest problem that we have in this century has been gluten intolerance and intolerance to a lot of grains. Okay, there's lots of reasons for it. It's a little bit beyond the scope of this particular uh, lecture. But if you see this, I'd say to myself, hmm, maybe I should consider some time away from the gluten. Okay? Thyroid. I, when you see any polymorphisms in the thyroid, you just want to think about are there thyroid issues and have I been checked for it completely. So in this particular one, I wouldn't get crazy, but let's say you see a bunch of uh, yellows and reds here. Um, how would you check? First of all, clinically. All right, so if you're overweight and you can't lose weight and you're cold all the time, even though you're heavy and you're losing your hair and stuff like that, those are signs of hypothyroidism, even though your regular thyroid tests happen to be normal, okay? There is a ton, people listen close, there's a ton of subclinical hypothyroidism out there. How are you going to find out about it? Well, guess what? Let's do it the old way. Let's start taking your temperature, okay? You can take your oral temperature. I use the old stick thermometer because I'm not trustful of the digital. I'm too damn old. I know. And you take your temperature every day. You shake it down, and before you get out of bed, you put the, uh, put the thermometer underneath your tongue, okay, and uh, for about 10 minutes, and then record your temperature. If you're a man, you only need to do it five days. If you're a lady, especially if you're cycling, you need to do it 14 days because of the um, ups and downs uh, because of ovulation. If the average temperature is 97.5 or less, you have hypothyroidism. I don't care what anybody says. If the average temperature is 98 or above, you still have those symptoms and maybe more adrenal. If it's in between the two, there are there be dragons. Okay, that requires interpretation, that means. Okay? Uh, if you're having a thyroid studies done and the doctor just does the TSH, you walk into the, his office and you smack him upside the head and ask him for the TSH, free T3, free T4, uh, reverse T3, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, and thyroglobulin antibodies. That'll give you a better picture of something if it's attacking the thyroid because those thyroglobulin antibodies and the thyroid peroxidase antibodies will be attacking the thyroid way before, seven, eight, nine, ten years before you get Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Okay, and you'll have subclinical hypothyroidism and have all kinds of symptomatology. Okay, and they're going to say it's in your head. As soon as they say it's in your head, then it's in my court. <laughs> okay, because that's what I get. There's people who say, they say it's in my head. Okay, let's go. <laughs> now we'll start really looking. But thyroid's a biggie. Thyroid and adrenal's a biggie, but right here is where you start getting the suspicion. Eye health has to do more with the creation of vitamin A from beta-carotene. Some people cannot conjugate vitamin A from beta-carotene. These are the kind of people who, when they drink a lot of carrot juice, sort of look orange, okay, kind of look the color of the carrot juice. So you look at their hands. Uh, that means they're not metabolizing it. Mitochondrial function. This is really, really, really important, people. So listen close. I'm going to spend a little time on this. What is on page 13 here? Is it 13? Yeah, okay. Uh, it says 24, 13. I don't know. The next one. All right. Did I number these right? Huh, I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, you're looking at glucose. Okay. You're looking basically at how energy is created. Okay. And I'll go through it with you. Uh, glucose creates energy. Okay. Blood sugar creates energy. Energy is 
uh, ATP. Okay, I apologize for mis, um, misnumbering the pages, but just one after the other, okay? Uh, one mole of glucose creates 38 ATPs, and mole is not a furry animal. Okay, it is a measurement, 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd molecules, Avogadro's number, and ha, 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 I remembered it. Okay, first thing that happens is glycolysis, which creates lactate and pyruvate and two ATPs. If you have oxygen in your system, if you're more alkaline, you will go from there, okay, the pyruvate and the lactate will go into the Krebs cycle after it passes by acetyl-coenzyme A. The Krebs cycle is this honking amount of biochemical processes, biochemical um, reactions that produce NADH and FADH2, which are the electron donors that are brought into the mitochondria to create energy. By the way, you know that people want you to be alkaline as opposed to acidic, okay, because if you're acidic, you've got mostly H's and you engage in anaerobic metabolism and then you don't go into the Krebs cycle, you just create that ethanol or lactate, which means to get your 38 ATPs, you need 19 times the amount of sugar. So you'll get 2 times 19 is 38. It's going to go to that side. You're going to produce a bunch of lactic acid. This is what happens kind of inside of cancer cells. Okay, it's more acidic. When you're more alkaline, you've got a lot of OHs, okay, hydroxys, which is where you get your oxygen from. That's why they want you to be more alkaline, right? But in the mitochondrion, if we go to the next page, you have something called the electron transport chain. <clears throat> this, if you listen to the bigger picture here, Okay, this will make a lot of sense. You see two membranes, which are phospholipid bilayers. Gee, wonder where I heard that before. Okay, what happens is coenzyme Q10 will ferry NADH and FADH2, which are the electron donors, to these different complexes. The first complex will take the H off the NADH, take the proton, put it into that space, and hold on to the electron. That's the line where you see the Q. In complex two, succinate dehydrogenase will pull off the two H's from FADH2, put the protons up, hold on to the electrons. Then it goes into um, complex three and four on the cytochrome C oxidase and a couple other guys, and they render, if you will, the electrons so that the products will go through the last complex where you have ATP synthase. Gee, I wonder what that synthesizes. ATP. So that's where you get your other 36 ATPs, by the way. And that's a significant amount of energy if you think about it, okay? And what runs that, what really looks kind of like a factory, is the pressure or the protons, okay? So you need that electrochemical gradient to run the ATP synthase machine, if you will, okay? And the only way you can hold on to those protons is if you have patent membranes, right? So to run the mitochondria, you have to have a nice open pathway. You have to have the coenzymes for all the, um, uh, the coenzymes and cofactors, vitamins, minerals for the uh, reactions, okay? And you have to have enough um, electron donors. They have to be the pathway. There has to be the electrochemical gradient, and you'll get your ATP. By the way, for anybody who likes trivia, uh, the mitochondria is not native to our cells, okay? It was, a, um, I think, a bacteria that kind of invaded our cells way, way, way back when and found out that our byproducts was its food and created a symbiotic relationship. And uh, how that completely happened, I don't know, but I'm of the opinion that 
without the mitochondria being in our cells, uh, evolution would have never taken place, okay, because there wouldn't have been enough energy for it, but that's just my thought. So, uh, Sean Bean, uh, one day in about 20 minutes, uh, right in front of me, uh, researched and discovered the genes for the electron transport chain. I don't know how he does that kind of stuff, but he's just brilliant. Okay, and then a lot of research happened with Sterling Hill and Ben Lynch and so forth. And we put it in here, it was not put in order. So the ATP is the fifth complex, the COX is complex three, NDUFS is complex one, okay, and you can see on the next page that complex one, we see all the reds, okay. Now, Ben, uh, Dr. Ben Lynch found out why people's mitochondria don't work when you see this particular pattern. In complex one, oxidized glutathione called GSSG gets stuck in here. And since that's only a two-lane highway, it gets stuck pretty good. And the electron donors can't get into the mitochondria. And therefore, you don't get a lot of ATP. Those electron donors get released in circulation as free radicals, which are already having trouble breaking down because of the SOD and NOSs. Okay, are you following me? <laughs> Keep up. All right. So uh, Dr. Ben found out that, boy, this is, this is what the, the literature said. Um, we were fortunate enough to learn uh, that a, um, uh, an MD in uh, Louisiana was curing alcoholics with uh, IV NAD, okay, which is a derivative of niacin. And uh, after speaking with him, I realized that he's working with the mitochondria, and we um, sent a couple of fluoroquinolone toxicity patients down, and their chronic fatigue went away immediately. Just ping, gone, okay, after a few IVs of this NAD, because what the NAD was doing was taking the oxidized glutathione, turning it into reduced glutathione, which is what the body uses as glutathione, opening up the pathway, and then nature took its course and ATP started being uh, produced. Since that time, we have uh, developed different uh, intravenous solutions um, with high-dose vitamin C and niacinamide, yada, 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 okay, that actually does the same thing, in my opinion. Okay, Dr. Ben has come up with uh, NADH and coenzyme Q10, which has been being used orally to open up the uh, pathways, all based on this research, okay? So when you're looking at the mitochondrial pathways, you want to see if complex one and complex three or five, but especially complex one is blocked up. SOD plus NOS is plus that complex one, you know it's mitochondrial, okay? And you fix the mitochondria, and this is where people start getting better. Because if you want to get better, think about it. You need open and functioning detoxification pathways. You need a functioning methylation transsulfation pathway. You notice one leads into the other, okay? And you need a functioning energy pathway. And I know that I'm speaking, you know, I'm speaking sacrilege to some people, but I'm giving overview right now, okay? The other immune factors you can, uh, you can look up. Some of them are important, some of them aren't. I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time on them. Uh, I wouldn't worry about the Mediterranean fever one. Um, what can I say? The sulfonotransferases, uh, when I see them, I tend to start thinking about whether that person can conjugate sulfur. Um, their sulfur metabolism is, um, is compromised in some way. If I put that together with CBS, I say to myself, let me keep asking. And you can see that the sulfonotransferases can have, um, <clears throat> can have uh, contributions in cancer. Okay, it can have contributions in uh, PCOS, um, the breakdown of neurotransmitters. A lot of these things 
uh, cross over, okay? So let's tie it together a little bit, all right? Uh, by this time, I kind of hope that I've conveyed the following. The presence or absence of polymorphisms in and of themselves do not indicate the presence or absence of disease. I'm not being haughty and I'm not being condescending. I'm trying to allay a lot of fear that I hear. Okay, I get 10, 15 calls a day. You know, I have MTHFR. I'm like, yes. Okay, and after a little while, it's, it's you know, I realize that the lack of information is what's frightening people, and I'm a great believer that empowerment, knowledge is empowerment, okay? The SNPs are probabilities and need to be correlated with your entire clinical condition. Treating only the SNPs with various available products designed for treating the SNPs without correlation to your clinical condition is inadvisable at best and dangerous at most. You can't fix the COMT. You can fix the expression, but you can't go in and turn and you know physically fix the COMT. I know some people would argue with me about that. Okay, but you can fix the root causes that creates the expression. The looking at the pathways, you can say, "Gee, this is where that person's going to be weak. Let me see what caused it. Let me go backwards. It points you in certain directions." This kind of correlation should be done by a trained and experienced healthcare provider. I've always gone by the saying, a doctor who treats himself has got a fool for a patient, okay? And the reverse is also true, in my opinion. Uh, there's lots of things people can do for themselves. This is not one of them, okay? This can get hairy after a while. Looking at the SNPs individually is usually bad. Looking them as parts of pathways and considering the entire pathway is best. Discovering what's stressing or crashing the pathways, remembering the highway example, is the true way of healing an individual, and often when you do this, the pathways fix themselves. I'm more sacrilege, I realize. Okay, how do I know that? Well, the first time I heard that is when we did a show for the fluoroquinolone toxicity patients, people who were uh, injured by the fluoroquinolone antibiotics, and uh, they can be very, very incredibly sick people, and I have a, you know, a goodly amount of them are my patients. But I also noticed that there was a certain amount who would resolve on their own. And those people resolved by um, eating organic, um, you know, not exposing themselves to toxins and so forth, essentially not doing anything to stress or crash the pathways. And over time, usually about five years, okay, um, those pathways rebuilt themselves. And the and all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but over time, they got better and better, okay? So guess what, all right? You can reverse these things, and if you fix the person, the pathways often will fix themselves. And then sometimes you need to help the, some of the methylation along, but you don't do it primarily. It's not the first thing you do. So when you're choosing a healthcare practitioner, it's really critically important to pick someone who thinks like a detective, you like me as Sherlock Holmes? Okay, I think I look kind of cool myself. Okay, a true holistic practitioner offers you the best of traditional and alternative medicine or integrative medicine. The, that practitioner is not beholden to a single protocol or single way of thinking. Um, it's been a constant joke of mine that, you know, if you're a line, you know, whether alternative or traditional, if you're a line doctor, then you have a hammer, and if you have a hammer, hammer everything looks like a nail. Okay, 
you know, um, I always accuse allopathic physicians of being very short-sighted and, and, and myopic in their view of uh, chronic illness, but there's a lot of alternative medicine practitioners who do the same exact thing. They're just simply trying to do allopathic medicine from an alternative medicine point of view, and again, they're not looking holistically, okay? Uh, and you should look for somebody who is eclectic, who has a lot of tools in their toolbox so they can handle most situations, and that requires a lot of uh, knowledge and a lot of experience. Your detective will build a treatment plan based on your individual genetics and physiology, and most of all, will listen to you. It's been said by very old doctors, people who trained me, if you listen, your patient will tell you what is wrong. Okay, I know all the excuses these days of why doctors are so busy. I know I'm very busy too, but I sit and listen, and you guys usually tell me what's wrong. I'll sit there and listen to a crumb and say, let's follow that crumb. And that's, you know, where healing lies, usually in the minutia. Hence, we created bioindividualized medicine. Okay, bioindividualized medicine takes genetics and integrative medicine to a new level. <clears throat> by combining the knowledge of neuroendoimmunology, epigenetics, and nutrigenomics, which is the optimization of, um, <clears throat> of, of, your, geno of your genome via, um, via nutrition, acquired or secondary mitochondrial dysfunction and cell wall integrity, the practitioner trained and experienced in this arena has the capability of identifying and treating not only the root causes of the dysfunction, but also attending to the downstream effect, that is, fixing whatever the primary causative agents are, as well as fixing the root cause. It is imperative that you do both. How many Lyme patients are out there who have had damage to their systems and have had one antibiotic after another, after another, after another, and any kind of dysfunction will cause the same symptoms to pop their head up? Okay, and then, oh, you've got Lyme back. No, you don't. Okay, not all the time, okay? What you never did was fix those cells. What you never did was fix the adrenals. What you never did was fix the thyroid. Okay, so that person can get back to working again. And there's a reason for this, people. Most allopaths and most, most people think in acute terms, okay? They will think um, like you get a strep throat. Okay, you're basically healthy. You get a strep throat. You get a little bit of antibiotic. About a, you, you feel bad for about a week. Week, you know, a couple of weeks later, you're back to your normal self. Well, that's an acute infection in a healthy individual. That does not happen with a chronic infection. When there's chronic infection, damage has happened, and it isn't permanent. It's just chronic. Okay, but permanent is different. Okay, and believe me, there's preciously little permanent damage. Okay, there's lots and lots and lots of um, you know, chronic and chronic damage that can be reversed, okay? And you have to think that whatever the bug or the infection, the virus or the whatever it did to you has created chronic dysfunction, okay? And you have to fix that. Otherwise, no matter what happens to you, whatever is negative is going to go right down that bike, right down that facilitated pathway. It's like a rut, and you're going to get the symptoms back. So, uh, bioindividualized medicine practitioner, as we like to say, okay, or somebody who really knows their stuff, is going to treat not only the root cause, but what the root cause did to you. They use the genetics as guide, okay, and pointers. 
And believe me, they're pretty damn accurate if you know how to co- you know, correlate them. Your neurotransmitter studies, your gut function, your mitochondrial f- function, your cell wall integrity, all these points so that people will look at these areas by intention and heal them by intention instead of by accident. And basically, we're trying to go back to the old family doctor that would listen to you and knew exactly what to do. Each person is different. And this has to be done on an individual basis. The word protocol in my office is a four-letter word. Each person has different uh, and varied requirements, okay? And your treatment program may start kind of similar to other people, but as it gets more specific, okay, it should be specific to you, okay? So when you walk into somebody and he says, I do this protocol, I do that protocol, I do this protocol, it's time for you to turn around and walk out. Okay, because all they're going to do is say, listen to you. Okay, this is your diagnosis. Here's, your, here's the protocol, which is akin to that comedian who says, here's your sign. Okay, and I've got to tell you something. Sherlock Holmes, who I obviously venerate and follow, used to say things like, you know, uh, when you rule out the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable, must be the truth. And that's true. But he had another saying that I follow very closely. It is a capital mistake to twist facts to suit theories instead of to twist theories to suit facts. And what's happening in today's world is that there are a set of theories, we'll call them diagnoses, which aren't diagnoses, they're syndromes, and people are being shoved into them. And of course, with those, there's a set of treatment. And most of the times the treatments don't work, and when they don't work, instead of saying, gee, let me rethink this, they just up everything and do, you know, and most of the time, at least the people that I treat, like, what are you doing? You know, you're on 10 times the amount of Prozac and it's still not working. Maybe serotonin's not the problem, okay? Uh, practitioners trained and experienced in this area include myself, Sean Bean, Cynthia Smith, and, of course, Dr. Ben Lynch, who um, is just a great guy. The Alyssa story, okay? The cute little person you see on the screen is Alyssa. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> That's what I get for talking and trying to drink some water at the same time. Um, I have permission to speak of this uh, case from uh, Alyssa herself <coughs> and her mommy. Okay, when uh, Alyssa was eight years old, a few years back, <coughs> excuse me, um, her mom came to me because she thought she needed Erlen glasses, which are the glasses that you see. Erlen syndrome is something called scotopic sensitivity syndrome where you're not able to um, process all the frequencies of light going into your brain. It will cause visual distortions, look like hallucinations, and so forth. But after a little bit of questioning, I realized that little Alyssa was hallucinating at eight years old. Okay, And I asked mom to ask her some questions, and mom called me back crying the next day saying Alyssa has significant hallucinations. And, and, and to make a long story short, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Alyssa had uh, visual hallucinations, auditory hallucinations, and olfactory hallucinations, which are smells that are not there. And by the way, olfactory hallucinations are a brain tumor, uh, unless pro- proven otherwise. She also had a horrible gut and, um, you know, just a very sick little girl. So I asked mom what was the result of the workup, and she looked at me and said, workup? <laughs> and I told her, no, 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 you've got to get all this other stuff done before you know, I can get involved. So she did, and found out, of course, she had, you know, there was nothing wrong with her. 
okay, which I disagreed with vehemently. And uh, by and by, okay, we found out that Alyssa had four, infect four infections, Lyme, anaplasma, yeast, and HHV6, which is a, uh, which is a brain virus. Um, I was working at the time with a um, with another uh, physician um, who wanted to put a pick line in her and um, give her rotating antibiotics. This was after three or four months of trying to fix up her gut, which we did very well. And I uh, advised this person in in pure Brooklynese because I'm Sicilian from Brooklyn that they would be sleeping with the fishes should they do something like that. And I used a different substance with Alyssa for about six weeks and retested her and all the infections were gone. And she doesn't hallucinate anymore. And she is a normal now 11 and a half year old girl without any kind of neuropsychiatric bent. Funny, towards the end of her care, we got her 23 and me. Don't ask me why I got that way. I think it was just coming on scene at the time. And even Sterling called me up personally and said, oh, my God, you've got to take care of this girl. Blah, 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 blah. She has this, 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 this. She's going to be on the bell tower with a rifle. Come on. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, there's nothing wrong with her now. She said, impossible. And you should see it was like somebody took her 23andMe and painted it with red. Fact is, it was the infections making everything crash. Not the pathways. Pathways rebuilt themselves. She's a young girl. Okay, and she's perfectly healthy now. I lectured the same thing in Louisiana, and um, where everybody was wanting to learn about SNPs, and I told Alyssa's story just the way I did with you, and I put up her 23andMe last, and everybody sitting there just shook their heads saying she couldn't possibly be well. No way in creation could she be well. Well, what they didn't realize is in the back of the room, Alyssa was sitting there with her mom because I finally got to meet her because she's in Texas, I'm in Philadelphia, and she came trundling up to the room and said hi to everybody. Okay, so guess what? Okay, it can be fixed. Okay, and if you use the genetics as guides rather than as absolutes, and you look at it in the, the wholeness, if you will, of the entire condition, Okay, that's where you'll get your information, not by looking at MTHFR and saying, oh, my God, this must be the, the horrible thing that it is. So, um, if anyone is, um, has their 23 me and has, uh, have, has been different places and they are not better, that is where we come in. Okay, and if you're looking for a consult from myself or Sean Bean, uh, you can email info bioindividualmed.com. There's a phone number in the contact form for Cynthia Smith, who I also very highly recommend. Okay, her, inf her email is info at lifestonewellness.com, and her phone number is there. <clears throat> Some practitioners like myself uh, may offer a complimentary 15-minute get acquainted session to ascertain if they can help your condition. I shouldn't, you just need to contact a practitioner individually for this. I know I do it because I like to talk with someone and ascertain uh, usually in a few, usually in about 10 or 15 minutes whether I can really help them before they start spending money. Okay, because what I do uh, is not horrendously expensive. I guess in the greatest scheme of things, I'm uh, reasonably priced, but it does take an awful lot of work. It is work. Okay, and let me tell you something. We have good results because we think and we listen. Okay, so it is Q&A time. Okay, I'm going to be happy to answer any and all of your questions. 
Uh, you can also email me questions, but there have been some people who have been hanging on for a while, so I'm going to get to the phones. Hi, person in the 920 area code. Are you still there? I am. Oh, you've been hanging in there. Thanks so much. What What is your question that I can answer? Well, I am totally confused because I just... <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> I, I just got my 23 me back not long ago, and I did run it through LiveWell, but mm-hmm. that, didn't, that didn't give me any more information than the 23 and me, and I, I followed your whole thing, but my 23 and me report is not in the same order as your presentation. Well, LiveWell is in a different order. It is. Yeah. And that's all it is. They have the same information in a different order. My 23andMe is in a different order. Mm-hmm. Um, you, have to, you have to realize that LiveWell just, um, they have the same, they have, a good, they have a good report, they have the same information. Again, it's just, it's, 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 um, it's just, uh, it's, in, it's in a different, uh, categor- it's in a different categorization. Uh, I think what everybody really needs to know is that any of the applications out there, that you run them through is not going to tell you what to do. It's just telling you where the polymorphisms are. Okay, and that requires um, that requires interpretation. That's why you need to work with somebody. It's not going to tell you, hey, you have this and you should take that. Okay, that's not their purpose. The purpose of the applications is to is to look through the 500,000 genes that are in your raw data. Okay, and pull out the ones that have polymorphisms. And then the practitioner puts them into the pathways in his or her head and says, okay, this is in the detox pathway, this is ATP. These three things together equal what we should look at. Okay? And that's why it's difficult. People look at it and say, well, this didn't tell me anything. You know, it's pretty, but it didn't tell me anything. Yeah. Am, am um, I answering your question? Sort of. The, the minor A-L-L-E-L-E there's like T C A G. I have no idea what that means. Okay. I and think then genotype <clears throat> have different I, letters too. Right. And um it's better if you look at the genes and then just look at the colors or the plus minus and the minus minus plus plus. Okay, that will give you a better idea because if you're going to follow the um the, you know the letters like the C, C T N G and what the risk alleles are. It's going to be very confusing, and it's not going to tell you anything. Okay, uh, what you really need to know is what pathways may be at risk of being, you know, uh, dysfunctional based on your whole condition. Okay, so but in like I said, in and of itself, <clears throat> the polymorphisms don't tell you an awful lot, but when you put them together with everything. Okay, they can give you some valuable information. But it's not something truly that you can see how difficult it is to do yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so if, if I would want a, a consult with you, what would be the process? Um, like I just said, what you do is give a call. Okay, why don't you schedule like a 15-minute complimentary consultation this way we can chat a little further about it and then I can see what your needs are and we can decide you and I can decide when I say wait 
if um, if I can help you or not. Okay? Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. And the person from the 610 area code has been very kind to hold on. Are you there? Hello. Are you there? Hi. This is Dr. Armand. Can I answer a question for you? Hello? Hmm. Okay. Person at the 360 area code, are you there? Hello? Gee, I don't know what's going on tonight. Okay, let's try something else. Okay, the person at the 678 area code. Are you there? Hello? Hello? Hmm. Person at the 682 area code? Are you there? Hello? Is anybody there? Hmm. Okay. Well, um, here we go again. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. Okay. I see you there, but I don't, just popped out. Okay. Um, people, I really apologize. I, I don't know what is going on, uh, but I think there may be something wrong with the... Um, with the um, blog talk radio itself. Uh, here's a 610 person. Let me see if I can get them. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. Are you there? Hello? 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 Okay, that's not helping. Hello? 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 Hi, this is Dr. Armine. Hi, I I didn't press one to say I had a question, and I know that there have been some issues, but since I have you, um, I just want to let you know that I really appreciate your presentation. I've been working with a naturopath. It's wonderful. I really needed this. I've been trying to figure it out on my own. I've been working with a naturopath. Poor baby, you're still sane. (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And... My naturopath is also learning, and he is being wonderful and and learning as much as he can about this as well. And I guess a good question would be is do you have um, some kind of seminars or workshops for um, naturopaths and other practitioners to attend? We have uh, presently, we have, um, and thank you so much for asking that question because Sean keeps telling me to mention it. We do mentor and and educate um, various doctors. Uh, We do that on a one-to-one basis, okay? So um, your naturopath should just give us a call and we'll give him or her the the particulars, okay? And um, um, we were going to create a course, but um, presently we're working with another company who, because um, we have a non-disclosure right now, I can't mention it, but what we're going to try and do is exactly this and create a webinar-based course that people can have a, um, 
uh, become certified, but have a good understanding of bioindividualized medicine, which would include all the genes. Okay, so that's coming down the pike, but we also uh, do um, uh, peer-to-peer consults, uh, you know, working on individual cases, and we do, uh, Sean and I, and I know Cynthia does also, we'll work with practitioners and teach them from the ground floor on up. Okay, if it's done on a a one-to-one basis. That's very exciting. I'm going to be forwarding your PDF to him, and um, I look forward to just following you and learning all I can because I, I'm doing better. I, I'm not as sick as some of the people who you've been mentioning, but I'm looking at, at wellness and preventing the things that run in my family. I am impressed. That's a nice proactive attitude. <clears throat> I wish you luck, and if there's anything we can do for you, let me know, okay? Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Hello. Person is 682. I can hear you out there. Are you there? Oh, um, like the lady before, I was really just listening. I didn't have a particular <laughs> question. Okay. No problem. All righty. So, um, yeah, I don't know what's going on with the, uh, with the uh, blog talk radio tonight, but no matter. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Sure. Okay. Um, are you there? The six one zero area code. Okay. I don't know what's happening here. Are you there? Hello. 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 Yeah. Oh. Did you? This is Doctor Armine. Did you call with a question? <laughs> no, I'm just listening. Okay. Well, thanks so much. We're, can... we're, near, we're nearby. We're going to come see you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, people out there, I am so sorry. Um, I don't know what's going on tonight. There's, like, nobody on the chat, and there's things usually filled up. I know there's people out there listening, okay, uh, and I apologize if there was any, uh, if you couldn't get through or whatever, but I do have a special treat for you. Okay, um, and this will have everything fixed up by that time. Next week, July 14th, 2014, at 8 o'clock, we're going to have an expert panel on NTHFR methylation SNPs and bioindividualized medicine. It's going to be an open mic night, which means you'll be able to call in and ask your toughest questions. The panel will consist of Cynthia Smith, Sean Bean, and me, uh, and um, maybe a couple of other people if I can talk them into it. And uh, <clears throat> we'll have them on the radio. I'll announce it beforehand who will be on. And you'll be able to uh, call us and ask questions. The only restrictions are that you can, ask, you can ask questions, but the practitioners are not allowed to treat you over the phone. Okay, so, you know, no one's going to be able to give you, like, a treatment plan. But guess what? You can ask loads of great questions. And that's going to be next week at 8 p.m., and um, I think that will make up for all the problems we would have had with this show tonight. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but um, you can trust that I will find out. Okay, so if there's anyone else out there who has a question, uh, you can call 646-595-2277. I'll wait a couple of minutes and see if there's, uh, but it seems like we're having some technical difficulties. And um, I want to let you know that... Um, if you have, if things are frightening you about the uh, polymorphisms, I suggest that you, you know, strongly suggest that uh, you give us a call, let us uh, work it, work through it with you, 
Uh, and uh, if you look through my uh, PDF and you have other questions, you can email me. Okay, my email address is right there. And um, I will try my best to answer and try and make your emails um, reasonably succinct, okay, because sometimes I get emails that are about 20 paragraphs long, and I'm like, I've got 80 emails. <laughs> I've got to answer this one. But try and, uh, try and make your uh, questions succinct, and I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, and, um, gee, I kind of don't know what else to say. I kind of expected uh, to have um, a little bit different but with the, uh, with the technical problems. Um, I think what I'm going to do right now, unless someone calls and has a particular question, okay, I am going to end the show. And I am going to wait till next week when we have the expert panel. All these technical issues will be uh, hopefully resolved. And um, I really want to just say that the gen genetics are the new frontier. And it's in flux right now. But there are so many people uh, who are not misinformed, but just not informed. And they're trying to read it themselves. And it's, it's tough. There's another call here. Let's see if this is a question. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. Hey, hello. This is... <clears throat> uh, am I talking to you? Yes, you are. Oh, <laughs> I know we're having a lot of technical difficulties tonight. So. Yes, I heard. Yes, you, you are I, talking. I heard nobody else was calling in. I thought, okay, I'm going to call in. Uh, okay, I have well. my results for 23 in me on my computer. Uh, I signed up for it before the fall of 2013, mm -hmm. and some of the results that I got, uh, I haven't gotten any of the information like you mentioned on your on your uh, on your show, and I uh, I have a rare disease. Both my sister and I have. And uh, I have been, I had heard from uh, emails from several different people that supposedly share my DNA from the 23andMe site, but I still don't understand uh, how do I get more information uh, okay. about my rare disease. Okay, well, uh, the first thing is that 23andMe itself uh, will not give you uh, genetic advice or even give you a good genetic readout. Okay, what the reason we recommend 23andMe, aside from its reasonable price, is that it gives you access to the raw data. Your raw data, if you look in there where it says browse raw data, you can download that. That's all your genes there, okay? And put that, that data into one of the applications, either like I said, Sterling's application at mthfrsupport.com, okay, which is the one I'm used to looking at, or at LiveWello. Those are the two better ones out there. And they will, they, those computer programs will look through all of your data and pull out the polymorphisms in the pathways we talked about. And that will give us an idea of uh, what's going on with your basic biochemical pathways. And then depending on the particular disease you're speaking of, Okay, uh, you know the canon can't be uh, significant. To give you an example, I have a, a, a few patients with Parkinson's disease in uh, in the UK right now, uh, in Ireland, that are beginning to do very, 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 very well. Okay, it's not it's been, not been in a quick, easy process, but it's been a good process. And uh, the genes have given me some direction. 
okay, and um, the other biochemical parameters are good in the other directions, but uh, different from because of the guidance that I got from the genes, especially considering the mitochondria, and the research we've done over time uh, is given us, uh, you know, another option, and people are beginning to get better slowly. And we're seeing, it's very preliminary right now, but we're seeing people, people's conditions head in the right direction. Okay, so that's how you get more information from the 23andMe. 23andMe itself is not going to give you information. Okay, they're, they're just doing the testing. They may give you some ancestry stuff, but when it concerns giving you genetic probabilities, okay, that's what the FDA came down on them for. Okay, uh-huh. so you need to get the raw data, okay, and put it through one of the applications. If you want to know how to do that, you can go to mthfrsupport.com, click on Sterling's app, and there's a set of instructions on how to do that. M-T-H- sure, mthfrsupport.com. Right, dot com, right. And uh, if you forget it, just go to the PDF that I gave you, okay, and it shows you where I got that particular... Yeah, I figure out how to get the PDF. Go to, go to my website, drjessarmine.com, D-R-J-E. Yes, and I can find the PDF. Okay, if you go to my website, okay, and you go on the... You'll see the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine. On the left-hand side, you'll see our weekly radio show. If you click that... You'll see the July 7, 2014, the word PDF above it. And then you click that, and that will download. Okay? Okay. And that's everything I was talking about. Okay. Okay? Well, that that tells you something, then. Okay. It'll Um, tell you, and remember that this is archived, so you'll be able to take that PDF and listen to it again. Okay? You can uh listen to the whole show again, and then just go page by page like I was going. I figured that. Yeah, I did it uh, on it purpose referred, that way. <laughs> your show was referred to me on the, the Genotype Facebook support group, which is a closed group uh, mm-hmm. from the Genotype from Dr. Diadamo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm on a, a lot of those different blogs. And, you know, again, I do this as a service so people will understand, okay, because uh-huh. I, believe, I believe knowledge empowers people. And when you don't have knowledge, then that leads to fear. Okay, well, I'm now eating of... all organic, and I'm doing well, much that's better. Good. And that's what I you'll never guess how old I am. Mm, I, I couldn't by your voice. Go ahead. No, nobody can. I'm 80 <laughs> years old. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and people, when they see me, they they can't believe that I'm 80. They think I'm in my 60s. Well, so that's a wonderful I'm, thing, then. I'm one of the really rare is. ones who hold my age pretty well. In spite of the rare disease that I have, that uh, 20 years ago I thought that I was due to go into a convalescent home, but because I went on special diets and so on and forth, and I wasn't diagnosed with this this rare disease until 2006. Well, I I think what you realize is that by taking care of yourself, you decreased or prevented a ton of inflammation that would have made your disease progress and make you sicker. Right. You mentioned uh, one in in part of your blog about uh, uh, not holding on to your potassium. And that, I think, is one of my basic problems because I have to take high amounts of potassium to exist. That's I, amazing. I take, uh, I take 20 MEQ of potassium 
uh, eight times a day? A lot of times if you fix, fix the hyperpermeable cells, um, you can stabilize that, which is pretty cool. Uh-huh. Uh, well, but I'm hoping to do that with following this uh, diet and, and uh, taking care of myself better. That's great. I don't have anybody well, else to take care of me, so i got to take care of myself. I'm into it. So look over the look look over everything. Uh, look how to download your own um, genetic profile, and this way you can just follow it along. Listen to the uh-huh. listen to the show listen to the show once with my PDF, and then take your own file. And as you you can go right through it. This is what people do. They'll take their own study, and go through the show again, and because I'm going piece by piece by piece, and then they just write you know notes, and that gives them some real live uh-huh. information. Okay. Very good. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. Bye. Is a person in the five four one area code there? Hello, Doctor Jess. How are you? Hi. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. It's Cheryl. And hey, I was wondering two things. One, are your alleles static, or as you heal, will those Plus minuses and plus pluses change. <laughs> it depends on who you ask. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, I, no, no. There's, there's, in my opinion, they don't change. Okay, uh, but okay. I've heard, uh, I've heard arguments to the, to the contrary. Okay, um, my, my, um, I'm not convinced personally that you can turn on or turn off genes or change uh, the genetic construct, but uh, Ben Lynch has been telling me that that's possible. Uh, but, you know, it's all done the same way, okay? okay? It's all done by decreasing inflammation, by getting at root causes, by treating downstream effects. And so whether you look at it functionally, whether you look at it from a functional point of view where you're getting everything working the way it's supposed to so the body can work, or if it's changing the uh, gene from plus minus to minus minus. Uh, does it really matter? Okay, because right. you still yep. have, you're still treating the same pathways, and you're still having to do the same things. Um, but your question is a good one. I wish I could answer it with honesty and and scientific backup. But that's one of those new things that people are arguing about right now. <laughs> okay. Well, the way I had understood it is that. I got one of them from my mom and one from my dad, and so therefore it is what it is, but I may or may not express it, and that's how I turn it on and off, essentially. Right. The the expression is what's turning on and off. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's what turning on and off means, yeah. Okay. Um, Second question is, on your page 26 as an example, which happens to be page 14 in Sterling Gap, um, I see that that particular person that you're using as an example has genes on every single line, and I have hardly any genes on that page. Okay. I'll, that, I'll explain that, that to you, sure. my fit? <laughs> nope, nope, no, no, there's nothing wrong. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, blanks in your spit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here, here's, what ha- here's what happened. Here's what happened. Um, prior to the FDA coming down on the tw- 23andMe, they used something called a V2 chip. <clears throat> the okay. V2 chip that when they read genetics, they have this machine, okay, and this computer chip that reads 500,000 polymorphisms, looks for it. Don't don't ask me about the technology because it gets too. But yeah. uh, afterwards, for some ungodly reason, 
they switched to uh, something called a V4 chip, which reads uh, 250,000. And personally, as I read through the, when this first started happening, we think, my God, what the heck's going on? Then we realized that, they, that somebody somewhere with these chips preferentially had the chip not look for certain things. Okay, and you can see okay. that in the glutathione pathway, a lot of it is just not there. Okay, right. it's there, but it hasn't been identified by the computer program. Now, okay. uh, the good, th- the bad thing about that is you're saying, oh my God, you took off, you know, three quarters of the genes. The good thing about it is that the way I look at it and the way that I teach it is in groups. So you want to take out a lot of the um, mitochondrial genes? Fine, as long as I see the pattern, I'm happy. Okay, and okay. I can still see the patterns, okay? Uh, it's not you, it's the chip. And that's one of the reasons that I started doing this is because <clears throat> you need to look at patterns rather than individual SNPs because you're having less information to work with and the pattern will tell you everything. Okay, okay. That's, that's where you get the information through the pattern. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Okay, thanks. You're most welcome. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye. And the person in the 770 area code. Are you there? Hello? Hi. Hello? Hi, this is Dr. Armine. How are you? Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, this is Ali Carolina calling. Hi. And I just called in now. Um, I don't know if my question is going to be really relevant. Um, well, why don't you ask and we'll like find out. <laughs> I'd like to ask, what is your take? I know when you have the plus-plus, which is a homozygous mutation, that really, depending on the gene, the variant, could be really disease-causing. But how about the heterozygous uh, mutation? Let's say if you have a little bit of a pattern, I don't know if, you, if that's what you meant, let's say, yeah, I have done my 23andMe. I've noticed that I have a lot of genes, the NOS2 genes, that have different variants with mutation. And mm-hmm. then I have the SOD3 that has their mm-hmm. own heterozygous. But wouldn't that be cause it's in the same kind of gene function, let's say? They have, okay. you know, three or four or five of those heterozygous mutation in there could mean something, could be a pattern in that. Is that what you mean? Well, I'm really, really, really happy you asked that question, especially the way that you asked it, okay? So uh-huh. I, I'm seriously, I'm, I'm not being facetious. I, I mean, very sincerely, I'm, I'm happy you asked it because I think that's the question that everybody asks themselves. Uh, let me, let me um, start by saying that none of the genes are disease-causing. Okay, the mm-hmm. genes don't cause disease, okay? Right. And okay. Uh, some people actually believe that, that the genes themselves will cause disease. You need to look at them as probabilities. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at your NOSs, nitrous oxide synthase, okay, let's say mm-hmm. all of them, just to, to exaggerate, all of them are homozygous or red. You know that that pathway can't handle a large amount of stress or a large amount of inflammation or, if you will, traffic. Okay, whereas if they were all green, they could handle a higher level of traffic. Mm-hmm. If your SODs, one, two, whatever, mm-hmm. SODs, PON1, and all your NOSs, 
are a mixture of heterozygous and homozygous, that tells you that your ability to conjugate or uh, metabolize free radicals may be compromised. So if you have a large uh, load of oxidative stress, a large amount of free radicals, a lot of inflammations are all the same terms, okay, your body may have difficulty in metabolizing them because of a mitochondrial issue. So, yes, which I do have a diagnosis of mitochondrial disease. I also have an mtDNA mutation, which is in a masculine gene, but uh, somehow the 23 in, in me, it's not that advanced that will even live. Well, let me, tell, let me tell you a little secret about the 23 mm-hmm. in me. You can go back to your raw data and type in the gene that you're looking for yourself, and it will search. And it's not there. It's right, not and it may not be looking for it. I agree. Okay, right. yeah. there are Which limitations. Which is rare, but it's documented genes. So oh, absolutely. But yeah. understand, understand <laughs> that uh, that the technology is in its infancy, and it gives mm-hmm. us an awful lot of information. But it's mm-hmm. still in its infancy. And we're still working through the clinical applications, which is what, um, which is what's really important. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do a show like this was because I think that our technology has outstretched our our clinical applications. So there's not a lot of there's not a lot of healthcare providers or researchers who can go to, who you can go to and say, what does this really mean for me? Okay, mm-hmm. and. Uh, in, in about five years, you'll be able to do that because there'll be sufficient research and sufficient people trained and so forth and so on. Okay, but at this time, uh, the individual themselves is doing their own research on Snippedia, gene cards, wherever it is, and it becomes voluminous and it becomes uh, overwhelming and, mm-hmm. um, and, and difficult to, uh, to, you know, get what's really going on okay, because you need to correlate it with a clinical condition. And, um, and the patterns are the best way right now to look at almost anything because the patterns will tell you, okay, kind of what areas won't do well under whatever stressor you're talking about, toxicity, foods, molds, so forth and so on. And in you, you noticed if just from... You know, it's a mitochondrial issue. But mm-hmm. in that, when we look at the mitochondrial polymorphisms, we may be able to be assisted because now we, from the research we've done, we know that certain substances will help open up the pathway, even partially or fully, depending on what it is with you. And for some people with mitochondrial dysfunction or disease, if they can improve the function by 50, 60, 70%, that would be a wonderful thing. Okay? Mm-hmm. And there is a probability that that can happen with uh, some, of the, um, some of the substances that are out there that we now know can, you know, open up that pathway by reducing the amount of oxidized glutathione in there. You're not changing the pathway itself, but you're changing what's sitting in the pathway, okay? So you're changing expression again. If you have somebody who's got a lot of inflammation because they've got a leaky gut or because they have horrible food allergies, or you know, and you start fixing that and you decrease the oxidative stress, you decrease the amount of oxidized glutathione getting into that first complex, and therefore you're opening it up because you're not putting more traffic through. So you combine the two things where you're treating the pathway and treating what's causing the oxidative stress, and you give that person the probability that they can get 
better where they were told before that this was a terminal or a chronic condition that nobody could do anything for. Okay, so your question is so very well taken, you know, and, okay. and I really appreciate it. Uh-huh. Well, that, that's very interesting. I, I just um, watched an NIH, actually, a take on for physicians on mitochondrial disease, and they said that behind every chronic disease, the, the real beast behind chronic diseases, including mitochondrial diseases, are inflammation. It's very right. hard to really, you mm-hmm. know... You know, improve that inflammation that comes with all those chronic diseases. But yeah, besides oh, the actually, I would I would, I would beg to, I would beg to differ with that particular uh, mm-hmm, statement. Though. Mm-hmm. Okay, there, there you can do things for the inflammation. Okay, and, and mm-hmm. uh, my apologies, but if you finish the statement, I'll tell you I'll I'll tell you what can be done. Okay, go ahead and tell me what can can be done. All right, um, I noticed that uh, it, you know I've been in practice 38 years. Okay, and I know I got the bald head and the gray beard. <laughs> okay, and that's mm-hmm. a joke. Um, and no, it's true though. Uh, ask, ask my uh, ask my cat. He knows. Uh, the whole thing is that um, if you um, the NIH and, and the research that's coming out now is is finally saying, and I say finally because we've been trading it for years, that inflammation is the is the great is the great Satan. Okay, and it's true. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the research and you say, okay, what causes inflammation? Okay, it can be the direct effect of uh, dysbiosis. It could be a direct effect of Lyme. It could be a direct effect of toxicity or bacterial infections and so on and so forth. Okay, but there are certain things you can do that mm-hmm. will decrease inflammation because almost everybody who has a chronic disease has these things. Leaky gut syndrome or intestinal hyperpermeability, if you uh, type that into the search engine in NIH, you're going to get several studies that show that leaky gut syndrome or intestinal hyperpermeability does, in fact, create inflammation. Okay? And mm-hmm. what, they don't, what they don't talk about is how one fixes it. They were using some, some uh, studies where they were creating you know, leaky gut, and that created the increased antigen uh, entry, which increased the amount of antibodies being created, okay, because, and if you do that for a long time, you've got all kinds of memory cells being created, and then every time an antigen hits, you get this big blast of antibodies, which is also, you know, which is immunoglobulins, which is going to create inflammation. So if you concentrate on one of the real simple things of fixing a leaky gut, you know, the, the use of, uh, you know, soluble fibers to create the mucus layer again because that's the extrinsic barrier, using phospholipids and so forth and so on to help create, to help seal up the, um, uh, the um, tight junctions and, and reestablish the cell wall integrity. If you do those things, you will slow down or st- and if you use like digestive enzymes to uh, make sure your food uh, breaks down to its constituent amino acids instead of these small chain polypeptide bonds that look like antigens that get absorbed and get reacted to as antigens. Okay, if you do things like that, you're going to stop the antigenic entry into the Peyer's patches in the lamina propria, which is underneath, uh, which is in the basement membrane of the cut, and you're going to slow down or slow down significantly the production of immunoglobulins. Okay, and guess what? You cut inflammation. And I've seen 50, 60, 70, 80 percent, like in a month, because people are concentrating on that. Okay. Is there a point, you know, that let's say um, that you cross the line? Let's say you're too, you're too thick, or you, 
you're beyond repair, let's say, without severe intervention, let's say I have your gastroparesis, and it got to the point that in the hospital all the time for pneumonia and, and a lot of other things. So I obviously didn't know I had until now, but anyway, it got to the point that it really needed surgical intervention because of that. You know, that doesn't mean that I can go and try to look into diets, but I have tried for years, let's say, digestive enzymes and um, even Rx enzymes for the digestive enzymes and things, and I think it was, was hard. So it, it, is, it is if you're trying to do one thing at a time instead of doing mm-hmm. it together. Okay, mm-hmm. and I and I so do perceive it, your your question. Mm-hmm. Can you be? I apologize for interrupting. Um, it, your your question is: Can somebody be too far gone? Uh, the answer is yes and no. Mostly no, because if you you never can tell how much of the body will regenerate unless you try. Okay, mm-hmm. um, that's that's a truism. Uh, you know that when there's an area of ischemia or, or death in, you know, in a muscle or a heart or something, the area of death in the area of inflammation or lack of function, the area of death is very small, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you allow the ischemia to continue, okay, it will spread. There'll be, but if you stop it and you <clears throat> decrease the, how are you going to do it, okay, you will minimize the actual uh, dead area, okay, or the actual dysfunctional area. So, in answer that, to that particular question, I understand, you know, very, very sincerely where you're coming from. But uh, it would be something that you know would be would require a lot of thinking, a lot of uh, a lot of work. But guess what? There are guys like me out there who you know who really would sink their teeth into this and say, hey, you know, you've done this, you've done that, but you haven't done it kind of together. You know, and maybe you can. Sometimes gastroparesis, believe it or not, is a lack of serotonin, because serotonin is the major uh, neurotransmitter of the of the enteric nervous system. Okay, so you do a neurotransmitter test, and you say, oh "My God, the person's got no serotonin." You know, you start treating with them 5-HTP, or if you're if you're a medical physician with an SSRI, and the gastroparesis starts decreasing. Okay, so well, they, uh, everything has its. Um, is, isn't that similar to? Um, or Lucavoron or Deplin, which is for no. folate or something? That's for folates, not, not for serotonin. Okay. 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 If, I, if we're going to just use that particular example. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in answer to your question or the answer to, to, the, uh, to what you said, which I, like, I really I, you don't know how much I appreciate you saying, asking these questions because, first of all, they're tough questions to ask, uh, and um, they're a real concern to a lot of people. In my opinion... Um, nothing is permanent. There may be things that may be chronic, but there's preciously few things that are permanent. And unless you've done what is reasonable, that could be done from a from a from a traditional and integrative point of view, or, or, or um, alternative medicine point of view, then you don't really know how much the body will um, will um, repair itself. Okay, and you'd be surprised how many things will repair. Okay. okay. So one more quick question, so I let other okay. people ask their <laughs> questions. And now, yeah, so in my view is that if you have um, heterozygous mutation in one gene, 
just one gene, let's say, of methylation. That mm-hmm. might not mean a lot if that gene is not really a very important or known gene to cause severe problems. But if you have a pattern of several hetero, you know, zygous mutations in several genes that means the, main, the, the same thing, that means the body might be suffering through that and their genes together might mean more. You're absolutely correct, but the, and best way to tell that, let's say, let's take an NTHFRC677T. Okay, that can be the only one that has a polymorphism. But if the person has symptoms of folate deficiency or they have symptoms of methylation problems, or even if you wanted to try a trial of giving them natural folates or folinic acid, not folic acid, folinic acid, or 5-methylfolate in small doses to see if their clinical condition improves, the C677T seems to have more of an effect than the rest of the MTHFRs. But you're absolutely correct. If you have one, it can be less of a probability than if you have many. Okay? You mentioned about folate and MTHFR uh, methylation problems there. Um, it's not just the MTHFR gene mutations or polymorphism that cause a person to have folate deficiency. Folate deficiency in the brain can be caused by other genes as well. Oh, isn't absolutely, it? absolutely. Because I'm just using an example. That I don't have any of those MTHFR <clears throat> mutations. I don't mm-hmm. any of them, but I have in other genes actually they're homozygous and they are folate genes, actually, mm-hmm. and that might explain why I do have folate deficiency, which is I had a uh, spinal tap for that, and I do have this deficiency. So folate deficiency can be treated a lot of different ways, especially if you have to get it into past the blood-brain barrier. Okay, It's a challenge, but this is why you work with clinicians that understand what the genes are saying and how to differentiate whether the genes are expressing and also have the ability to create a cogent treatment plan. Okay, mm-hmm. it's as you well know, because I can tell that you're, you know, you're medically sophisticated. Okay, that that is not an easy combination. Okay, mm-hmm. and does require, as you know, a lot of work, a lot and of thinking, a lot of planning. And have physicians in your in all over the country or certain areas or? I'm sorry, I didn't understand your question. Oh, where do you find the physicians actually that treat for those things? Well, that's the, I've, I've mentioned well, in the I know the where the mitochondria doctors are, <laughs> but I don't know for other things. So, anyway. you, the people, people like myself, like Sean Bean, like Cynthia Smith, we were the people that tend to think in this manner, okay? And um, we don't particularly specialize in mitochondrial disease, but in the more holistic treatment of everything, which is what people need less specialists and more generalists right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. They need somebody who can put it all together and then if need be refer them to the proper the proper specialist. But that's what unfortunately we don't we don't have any longer. We don't have uh generalists who are very well trained who can say, Okay, um I can handle most of this but you know, you really need something very so specialty specific here. Okay, that function has been put onto the patient themselves which is mm-hmm. uh, an unfair burden in my estimation. True, so true. Okay. But thank you so much for taking us. Thank you for your Thanks. time. I'll take care I now. I appreciate it.
Thank you. You're most welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Well, I apologize for not being able to get to everybody else who is um, who's waiting. And remember that next week you'll be able to call in. Uh, we're going to have an expert panel. Okay, so the whole next week will be an open mic night, which means that you'll be able to call in, ask your questions. There will be a lot more time for Q&A. Okay, there will be no lecture next week. It will just be questions and answers. Um, we only have about 30 seconds left, so let me thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention, and let me know. Email me if you have any other uh, issues. I'll be happy to try and answer them. Uh, I thank you so much for spending two hours with me. Good night, everybody. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally here I can feel a change in the way right now Nothing's in my way And I'm not gonna hold it down Take care. Bye-bye.